The following lecture is the one that I recorded for my YouTube version of Lecture 8. Hello, my name is Joe Sosnowski. This is Lecture 8 of Semester 1, Wisdom in Israel, where we will be studying the Old Testament wisdom books. This lecture is on the book of Sirach, also called the book of Ecclesiasticus. Let's begin with the Holy Spirit prayer. Come Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful, and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, and they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. O God, who by the light of the Holy Spirit instructs the hearts of the faithful, grant that by the same Holy Spirit we may be truly wise and ever rejoice in his consolations. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. We are studying the book of Sirach for the second week. Sirach is one of the seven books in the Catholic Old Testament that are not in the Hebrew Bible or the Protestant Old Testament. These seven books are Tobit, Judith, Wisdom, Sirach, Baruch, and 1 and 2 Maccabees. There are also parts of the book of Esther and Daniel. These books are referred to by Catholics as Deuterocanonical and by Protestants as Apophrical. The Deuterocanonical books we will study this semester are Sirach and Wisdom. Next semester, semester 2, we will study the rest, Tobit, Judith, Baruch, Maccabees, and Esther and Daniel. Why were these books not included in the Jewish canon? Because scholars think the Jews used two criteria. The book had to exist in Hebrew. And in the case of Sirach, the Hebrew text evidently had been lost. Although in recent times, Hebrew texts were found in Cairo in 1896 and Masada in 1964. The second criteria was books written after the time of Ezra were excluded. This was the time of Greek influence around the 4th century BC. Another theory, perhaps in addition to the above, is that since the canon was determined by the Pharisees, in the case of Sirach, the thinking is that Sirach was excluded because Sirach did not match the theological views of the Pharisees in two main areas, the importance of the temple in Sirach and the lack of a clear concept of an afterlife in Sirach. The book has various titles. Some of the more common ones are The Wisdom of Jesus Ben Sirach, the Book of Sirach, just plain old Sirach, which we are using. This title comes from the Greek LXX translation, the Greek word Sirachides for the grandson of Sirach, and Ecclesiasticus, which is from the Latin for the Book of the Church, because it was used by the early church as a catechetical tool for the instruction of catechumens catechumens were those preparing to come into the church. It was written by Jesus ben Sira in Jerusalem between 190 and 175 BC, and then translated by his unnamed grandson in, from Hebrew into Greek in Alexandria between 132 and 117 BC. By this time, the Greek Hellenistic cultural influences had become pervasive, it was also a time of increasing resistance by the Jews to this Greek cultural influence 
which led to the successful Maccabean revolt when Jews were able to gain their independence for a time. So the thinking is that the purpose of Jesus Ben Sirah writing his book was to counter these Hellenistic influences by demonstrating that real wisdom was to be found in the traditions of Israel and not in the godless Greek philosophy. This was from the commentary of the Catholic Study Bible. So in Sirach, Yahweh is the source of wisdom, and wisdom resides in the law and the temple. Wisdom is a unique gift given to the Israelites as part of God's Mount Sinai covenant with them. Quoting from Sirach, From the mouth of the Most High I came forth, and mist-like covered the earth. So the Most High God is the source of wisdom. And then the Creator of all gave me this command, and he who formed me chose the spot for my tent, saying, In Jacob make your dwelling, in Israel your inheritance. Thus, in the chosen city he has given me rest, in Jerusalem is my domain. So wisdom is a unique gift from God and now resides with the Israelites, with the Israel, Jacob, in Jerusalem, in the temple. The commentary of the Navari Bible proposes that Sirach has a five-part structure reflecting the five books of the Torah, the Pentateuch. I gave this to you in the last lecture. Each section begins with an introduction on the section's topic, followed by a practical teaching on each section topic. So those sections are, section 1, God has the fullness of wisdom. 2, God imbues all his works with wisdom. 3, God grants wisdom to those who keep his commandments. 4, the fullness of wisdom is fear of the Lord. And 5, lessons from history. Another, more conventional outline is given by the Catholic Study Bible Commentary. The Catholic Study Bible Commentary sees the book composed of two major sections, the bulk being the first part, Moral Instructions. There is a poem praising wisdom at the beginning and in the middle of this section, which then ends with a poem praising God and nature. And the second section has lessons from the history of Israel, a recounting of the heroes of Israel ending with the high priest Simon who died in 190 BC. The book discusses a wide range of subjects, but Murphy in his commentary The Tree of Life identifies three overarching topics which we discussed last week. Wisdom is equated with Torah or the law. Wisdom is a unique gift of God to Israel as part of God's Mosaic Covenant with Israel. It expresses retribution theology, that is, obedience leads to blessing, life, and disobedience leads to curses, death. And this occurs in this life. There is no concept of an afterlife or no clear concept of an afterlife, so it has to happen in this life. And then the idea of fear of the Lord. The common thing that connects all the wisdom books. I did a search on fear of the Lord in Sirach, in the New Revised Standard Version, and it came up 44 times. The point is not just that fear of the Lord is a common theme, 
but it is ubiquitous, meaning it is everywhere. It's not just confined to a single section of the book, but comes up throughout Sirach. According to Sirach, fear of the Lord is not just the beginning of wisdom, but fear of the Lord is wisdom. In Sirach, fear of the Lord is also the beginning, fullness, crown, root, and the whole of wisdom. The fulfillment of the law, a garden of blessings, glory, exaltation, gladness, rejoicing, better than riches and strength. According to Sirach, the blessings that flow from fear of the Lord and wisdom are long life, peace, perfect health, delight, gladness, lasting joy, faithful friends, honor and glory, sound judgment, mercy and a happy end. Some pretty good incentives to seek and follow, obey wisdom. As Sirach sums it up in chapter 40, verse 26, Fear of the Lord leaves nothing wanting. He who has it needs seek no other support. It's almost starting to sound like fear of the Lord or wisdom is equated with salvation or even God. And what does fear of the Lord look like in the person who has it? How is it expressed in the person who has it? According to Sirach, it looks like obedience, single-minded obedience, patience, perseverance, steadfastness, trust and hope, humility and repentance, and reverence and honor for the priests. I'd like to finish up by looking at two more controversial subjects in Sirach, and those are the subjects of children and women. First, children. Sons and daughters are treated differently. And I'm going to read you from chap- to you from chapter 30, verses 1 to 13. Whoever loves the son will chastise him often, that he may be his joy when he grows up. Whoever disciplines the son will benefit from him and boast of him among acquaintances. Whoever educates the son will make his enemies jealous and, re- and rejoice in him among his friends. At the father's death, he will seem not dead, for he leaves after him one like himself, whom he looked upon through life with joy and in death without regret. Against his enemies he has left an avenger and one to repay his friends with kindness. Whoever spoils a son will have wounds to bandage and will suffer heartache at every cry. An untamed horse turns out stubborn and a son left to himself grows up unruly. Pamper a child, and he will be a terror for you. Indulge him, and he will bring you grief. Do not laugh with him, lest you share sorrow with him. And in the end you will gnash your teeth. Do not give him his own way in his youth, and do not ignore his follies. Bow down his head in his youth. Beat his sides while he is still young, lest he become stubborn and disobey you and leave you disconsolate. Discipline your son, and make heavy his yoke, lest you be offended by his shamelessness. So, among other things, sons should be disciplined, never indulged. And you should start early. Thrash his sides while he is still young. No problem with corporal punishment here. And you should educate your son. Very interesting. And if you raise your son properly, he will be your joy and delight and be your avenger with your enemies, and at your death 
you will live on through your son. Now, let's take a look at daughters. While they are a treasure, they are also a burden. And I'm going to read to you from chapter 42, verses 9 to 14. A daughter is a treasure that keeps her father wakeful, and worry over her drives away sleep. Least in her youth she remain unmarried, or when she is married, lest she be childless. While unmarried, lest she be defiled, or in her husband's house, lest she prove unfaithful. Lest she become pregnant in her father's house, or be sterile in that of her husband. My son, keep a close watch on your daughter, lest she make you a laughingstock for your enemies, a byword in the city, in the assembly of the people, an object of derision in public gatherings. See that there is no lattice in her room, or spot that overlooks the approaches to the house. Do not let her reveal her beauty to any male, or spend her time with married women. For just as moths come from garments, so a woman's wickedness comes from a woman. So, a daughter is a treasure and a burden, but the father and the man is very interested in the subject of marriage and sexual relations and the idea of seclusion, and there's a certain harshness in dealing with the daughter. But the common thing here is that in both cases, it is all about the father or the man and his honor. It is a patriarchal society. And then the subject of woman in general. Sirach is very harsh toward women, especially in chapters 25 and 26. He makes some very generic negative statements about women. In chapter 25, verse 12, Worst of all wounds is that of the heart. Worst of all evils is that of a woman. Although he does make a distinction between wicked women and the virtuous woman in other places. The wicked woman being bitterness to her husband, while the virtuous woman bringing him happiness. In either case, again, it is still about the man. One of the dubious distinctions Sirach has is that it is, it is the first place outside Genesis that blames sin and its consequence of sin, which is death, directly on the first woman, Eve. In chapter 25, verse 23, we read, A woman was since beginning, and because of her we all die. And not surprisingly, when Sirach goes on for the final seven chapters of the book, where he's praising the heroes of Israel in his Lessons from History, you will not find one woman mentioned. No Miriam, no Deborah, no Hannah. But, as we've said before, for Christians, it is at the cross where ultimate wisdom is revealed. Jesus crucified is the true wisdom and power of God. This is the sketch of Jesus on the cross made by St. John of the Cross. Next week in Lecture 9, we will take a look at the Book of Wisdom. Let's finish with an Our Father. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen.